Good evening and welcome to Line by Line. I am Pastor Josh Hawkins and I am so excited. Uh, as always, I'm always excited about teaching the Word of God. Tonight, Lord willing, we are going to finish the book of James. And wow, it's been great, but it's gone by so fast. Um, so I am, uh, we're, we're going to be starting. Uh, da, 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 uh, verse 13, I believe, is where we're beginning things this time. Verse 13 of James chapter 5. So, before we go there, though, let us pray, and then we will dive into God's Word together. Father, I thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for your Word. I thank you that um, we get to explore good and beautiful things today. Lord, I ask that as we finish up this book, that the lessons that our brother Yaakov wanted to teach us uh, will not be lost on us, but that they would live in our hearts and um, bear fruit for the glory of the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, let's start reading James chapter 5, verse 13 the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen and amen. Okay, well, we got great stuff. So the first half of our time tonight is going to be talking about prayer. And James goes from, you know, he's been in this kind of instructive mode now. I mean, it's really been the entire letter, uh, but, uh, but, but again, he's going to shift gears. And as we said in the beginning, this is almost like the book of Proverbs in that, in that um, you know, it's kind of little pieces, a bunch of little pieces all kind of strewn together. There isn't necessarily one through line of thought or progression of thought from the beginning of the book to the end. Uh, as we're here at the end of the book, He's switching gears again. These are the final words he's going to say to us. And uh, and he wants to talk to us about prayer. Are you suffering? Pray. Cheerful? Sing praises, which is the same thing. Sick? Call for the elders of the church, and they will pray. Oop. The prayer, you know, and then and then he talks about confession, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay, so are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. Are you catching a theme here? James 
is telling us to go before the Lord. He is telling us in no uncertain terms that we should spend, that we should take our lives, take our all of who we are and bring it before the Lord all the time, that we should be a people who are living our lives with God. You know, we talk about prayer all the time and there's a million ways to talk about it. And I love having conversations around prayer. Prayer has been kind of a key theme for my entire life for me. Um, but, uh, but, but <clears throat> the point isn't how we pray. The point is that we pray. We need to be a people who are, are a people of prayer. We need to be a people who are dedicated to living our lives with the Lord, inviting the Holy Spirit to be a part of who we are and what we do all the time. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Sing praises. So it doesn't matter whether or not you're having a good day or a bad day. It doesn't matter whether you are uh, 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 understand what God's doing in any given moment or don't understand. It doesn't matter if you're happy, if you're sad. It doesn't matter what's going on. Bring what you're experiencing to the Lord. Bring your life to the Lord. Come when you're excited and happy and come when you're sad and confused. So it, it, this is the whole point that the entirety of the Christian life is meant to be lived in the presence of Jesus by the power of his spirit. We walk every day with God in Jesus Christ. This, it's, this, is, this is the core of the Christian life. I have in the in the last few months, and I'm not the first person ever to come up with this uh, with with this particular metaphor. But over the past few months, the Lord's really been speaking to me about the Christian life as a dance, a dance with Jesus. Um, he told me, you know, that I often talk to him about this as a journey. But um, he said, that's not, gonna, that's not a helpful metaphor for you anymore. The metaphor I want you to use in this season for your life is the metaphor of the dance. Because it's not about going from here to there. It's not about going from A to B. It's not about, um, it's not about how fast am I arriving at the place where I'm trying to go. It, it is about learning to step in step with the spirit, learning, learning to walk, to, to move with God, that my life is about moving with him, getting close to him, moving when he moves, finding his rhythm, finding, following his lead. And that the point of a dance is about being close to your partner. The point of a dance is about the cooperation, the participation of both of you in this beautiful thing together. And he was saying to me, this is what he, this is what the Christian life ought to look like. The Christian life ought to look like a dance. Like, am I staying close to him? Am I in step with him? Am I, do I have, have, have I taken on his rhythms? Am I moving when he moves? Uh, are we partnered together are we operating at the same time? I, 
I hope that metaphor makes sense to you. It's been profoundly helpful for me in these last few months, deeply, deeply helpful for me to think about my life with Jesus as a dance. And James uh, telling us to um, to pray no matter what's going on in our lives, that is an exact that that just adds to that to that whole metaphor for me that we have to stay in communication. I need to live my life in communication and in partnership and participation with the Holy Spirit moving when he moves, stepping when he steps, that I'm paying attention to him and he is paying attention to me. Um, That's really wonderful. And so we live our lives in that spot, in that place where it's a partnership between us and him. And together we're making something beautiful. But then he says, "Is is any among you sick? First of all, I love this because James doesn't say Christians are never going to get sick. If you ever hear a pastor saying that they've never been sick and that Christians should never be sick, warning, 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 big red flag should start flying over your head. You want to know why? Because it's malarkey. (laughs) The Apostle Paul was sick. Okay, Christians get sick. It happens. It happens. Point isn't whether or not you get sick. The point is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? Are you go- how are you going to respond to your sickness, to your health? Is Jesus with you in it? Are you are you available to him in the midst of your sickness or your health? You know, that is what we said to each other at the at the wedding ceremony in sickness and in health, in richer or poorer, right? And we are the bride of Christ, and this is what it looks like. So, are any of you sick? Call for the elders of the church. They should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, these instructions are really important. Okay, we need to pray for sick people. When when I just said Christians are going to get sick, that's true. And we should pray for them when they do. Um, For so many reasons, so, so, so many reasons why we should pray for sick people. One, it's encouraging to them. But also, and but obviously the big one, we're hoping that God heals their sick bodies, which James says that he will, that the 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 prayer of faith will save the sick person. We're, well, we'll talk about that one when we get there. But um, the elders, of, the elders of the church, that's interesting to me, should pray over him. What does that mean? That means that your sickness, your struggling is important to the community of the body of Christ. Can I say this to you? As a pastor, I regularly do not hear about someone going to the hospital or someone being sick until after they aren't sick anymore because we don't do James chapter 5 in our context. Nobody calls the elders of the church to come and anoint them with oil. Not anymore. I mean, very few people. I'll say it that way. Uh, this is this is what we should be doing, and when we're sick, this is what should happen. The elders of the church should gather around, over, gather around, and pray over that person. That is what we should be doing. This is what James told us to do. Now, uh, well, we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, my brain is going five thousand miles per hour right now. Forgive me, but this is a community situation. We so often, and I am number one on this list. 
I do not like people around when I'm sick. I don't want to, I don't even want to see my wife when I'm sick. I'm just like, just go away and leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to see anybody. That's just kind of where I'm at. I don't like anyone seeing me at my worst. I'm just not, ugh, I don't want people around. Um, but that's not, that's none of my business. <laughs> my health is important to the community, to the body, which is why the eldership of the church should be called to pray for them. Now, this next part, okay, where it says, after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord, understand something here, okay? Because in our tradition, in my tradition, like when I was a kid, what we did was on Sunday mornings, every Sunday, we would give put a call out there. If anyone is sick in their body, we want you to step out into the aisle. I said, do not disturb. Sorry about that. Don't know why it's allowed to do that when I'm on do not disturb. I... <clears throat> The, the rule or the, the practice that we had was that we would step out into the aisle and that the, the, the ushers, the elders would walk up the aisle, anoint the person with oil and pray over them. Awesome. Great. Super. But anointing someone with oil in the book of James and in the New Testament was not. Are you ready for this? Was not about taking olive oil and putting it on someone's head. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we should do it. It's a very kind of sacramental kind of cool thing where we're anointing them with oil. But when James said this, it was about medicine. It was about oil was the way, oil was a medicine. And the Greek term that he uses is a medicinal term. This isn't this isn't like anointing the priests, okay? Because in in the Old Testament, when the priest was called, uh, uh, they would anoint him with holy oil, and that was a special thing. That wasn't medicine. That was that was a release of authority and power onto them. The king would be anointed with oil. That was. That was a release of anointing power and authority over that person um, by the community of God's people, was recognizing God has called this man, this woman, into a place of leadership. That's one kind of anointing. That's called chrism, okay, in Greek. This is not that word. This is a different word, and it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as pouring an oil over the head of the priest or the king. By the way, King Charles in England was anointed with holy oil at his coronation. They still do that, okay? So it is a, an important thing. And when I was ordained, I was anointed with oil at that time. We still we still do the chrism thing. We still do the 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 recognition of God's calling on a man or woman, and the and we are setting them aside and saying this person carries a level of authority and power in our midst so we anoint them with oil as a sign um, and as a participation in what God is doing in that person's life 
we anoint them with oil. There's a lot we could say about that. Really, really fascinating stuff. But in James chapter 5, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord is not about that. It's not symbolic. It's not a, a, a sign of, of power and authority in the, in the community. No, it's none of that. It isn't any of that. It is medicine. It is medicine. This is medicinal. Okay, so what does that mean? That means go to the doctor. Now, I'm kind of a hypocrite because as as with most men, I do not enjoy doing going to the doctor and I usually wait until the absolute last minute. <laughs> I don't go to the doctor unless I'm really, really, really sick um, and have been for a while. Uh, that's just my, you know, that's, that's probably my pride. God forgive me. But anyway, um, we're not... We're not here to talk about me. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> I'm feeling feeling uh, convicted right now. Uh, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I'll go to the doctor more often. Um, uh, this is about medicine. And there have been groups of Christians, particularly Pentecostal Christians, who have said they won't go to the doctor because they're trusting God to heal them. Well, that is in direct violation of what our pastor James told us to do. He said, get them medicine. Make sure that they are being taken care of by a doctor. God can use doctors. So don't ever feel like God wouldn't want you to go to the doctor. That's not the case. He wants you to go to the doctor. Get medical care. Go for it. Whether it's physical or emotional, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Medical care is good. It's very good. So go ahead and get medical care. And we will pray. And the elders of the church should pray. Both of those things. We don't have to just do one or just the other. You can have Jesus and a doctor. You can have Jesus and a counselor. You can have Jesus and take uh, medications for depression or anxiety or whatever. All of those are wonderful. Go for it, friends. And don't let the enemy try to convince you that God doesn't want you to do it. Um, because he does. So absolutely have the elders of the church come and pray. God may heal them right then and there. Or he may want to use medicine to heal you as well. God gave men wisdom and he taught us you know, we have learned how to take care of the human body more and more over time. And that's a beautiful thing. And God loves it. So get medicine, please. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Ooh, there's a whole lot of these two verses, and I am excited about this because I uncovered some stuff when I was studying this that makes me think, hmm, I think maybe we need to be doing some some things that we're not doing right now. Um, so <clears throat> the prayer of faith will save the sick person. First of all, this is not a promise that every person that we pray for will be healed. Uh, nope, it's not that. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. Don't stop from praying just because you're not sure if they're going to be healed. Pray for them and believe and ask God to heal their sickness. That's always my first prayer. Lord, my first prayer is that you would just right now, as I put my hand on them, 
heal their body. Lord, we know you can. So, Lord, we ask you to heal them in Jesus' name. And you know what? Sometimes he does. Sometimes healing power, boom, and they are healed. Why does God heal one person and not another? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an explanation for you. All I can say is that God really does care, that God really does love you, and that whatever choice he makes for your life, it is the right one. We should still pray. God is looking for partners, and we can partner with him in that way. That's so cool and so exciting that we get to partner with God in that way. I love that. But there seems to be more going on this way, too. The act of praying is beneficial, not always in the way we think of. Okay, so it's not always just about healing them. It might be about encouraging them. It might be about some other thing. But the prayer of faith will save. This word save in the Greek is sozo, and it's a holistic term. It means body, soul, and spirit. It's literally a restoration of shalom. I preached on shalom for like eight weeks uh, uh, who knows, a while back, we talked about the restoration of Shalom over and over and over again, everything together and in the right place and functioning as it should. That's what Sozo means. That's what this word save means. The prayer of faith will bring Shalom to the sick person. What a cool and understanding, what a cool thing that God has promised, that as we pray in faith, that God will work in our prayers to bring about the wholeness that he desires for this person. And not just in them, but in their the way that they are connected to everyone else. So in my praying for them, I am doing something I'm accomplishing something, I'm doing something that is going to to more deeply connect me with them, that's going to that's going to bring healing that goes much deeper than just their physical bodies. It'll also include their mind, it'll also include their their emotions and their connections to the rest of the body of Christ. That's what my prayer of faith does for them. And that's huge. That's enormous. Oh my goodness, we should be praying for each other. And then James switches gears and says some things that we do not have any connection with our understanding of in our current, when I'm talking about our, I'm talking about my church and my, and the way that we practice Christianity. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. What? We do not practice confession. In the Assemblies of God, we have no practice of confession whatsoever. We have no, um, you know, this isn't like in the Catholic Church. And there may be true, this may be true of other churches as well. I honestly don't know. Um, where Every, periodically you're supposed to come in and sit and confess your sins to the priest and then they they give you you know some penance or whatever um for the record i am not advocating that i don't think that that's what james wants us to do but 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 um there is something we're missing here we're missing confession there is something about confession Something about sharing with one another 
and I, I, I had a, a friend of mine who is um, newly Catholic, and her father went with her to the to the church, and he said something like, "It speaks volumes that here is a church that has as a part of its building the the reality that." Everyone that comes here is going to make mistakes. Um, just the fact that that is a part of their practice uh, really spoke volumes to him. And and I agree. I think that we're missing this. I think there is something, something that we need to find out, something we need to figure out, something we need to think about, um, about re- uh, bringing in a practice of confession back to the church. I don't know what it would look like. Um, uh, it could be horribly abused. So that's why I'm like, well, yeah, I, I, it, we would have to be ridiculously careful about how we did it. But I think that keeping our mouths closed about our own sins cannot be a good thing for us. That's got to be a bad thing for us. We we should be doing more. We should we should be confessing to each other. Um, I uh, read more about this when when I was studying this passage because I was kind of like, wow, you know, this is an interesting an interesting line here, James. I'm not sure. Because there's something about healing that's unlocked through confession. Uh, you know, there's that phrase, confession is good for the soul. Uh, there's something that happens when we make confession of our weakness to one another, whether it's confession of a sin we committed or confession of our propensity to sin. I don't know if you have ever been you know, you've, you've kind of held a secret sin for a long time. And when you tell someone else, um, something really powerful happens. It's like it's like the power it has over you just diminishes. Um, you know, there was uh, there's another another phrase, another idiom that I've heard that says that, like, light is the best antiseptic. Right. So so in, in other words, <clears throat> um, bringing it out of the dark and into the light is a is 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 a really good way to kill off the the the, the sickness in us, uh, and I agree with that. Um, but we we are so proud, and we are so uh, we we all have this kind of sense of I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I'm not a bad person, right? We all live in that spot, um, and <coughs> and. Um, that's not good for us. That, 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 like, uh, that thing that, that I'm not a bad person. I didn't do anything wrong. This is your fault, not mine, etc. All of that is ugly and it doesn't help us grow. And I think if we made it a regular practice to confess our sins, wouldn't it be harder to sin? <laughs> if we knew we had to tell someone when I was in youth ministry, we, uh, we we tried to set up small groups for the kids. And within those small groups, we would ask each other discipleship questions. And they were like 
hardcore. Like, did you look at pornography this week? Did you, uh, you know, did you say words that you wish you hadn't said? Did you dishonor your parents? I mean, those are the kind of questions. And I'll tell you what, uh, those small groups got really small. <laughs> because nobody wanted to answer those questions. But for the kids that stuck it out and who were honest about their wrestle, I think it was a powerful, powerful thing. And I know I've been in accountability relationships in the past that have been just like that, where we confess to one another and it brought real growth for us. And so I would love to see that kind of dynamic in the church. Um, all the way, the earliest Christian church document that we have is from the first century uh, after Christ. Uh, and it's called the Didache. Um, and, and it is, it is, it actually says in there, in fact, this, it says that if a Christian sins, that they should confess it to the whole church, that they should stand up in front of the church and confess. Whoa. And that we shouldn't even be allowed to pray or take communion unless we had made that kind of a confession. Now, that's radical, right? But that's what it says. So 2,000 years ago, this is the kind of thing that the church did. And probably based on some you know texts like this one. I think confession could be a powerful element to bring back into the church, but I don't really, I don't know how we would do it. And honestly, I think that this lies at the heart of the, uh, the, the, of, of why like 12 step programs work 12 step programs. I think they work because they have confession and, and mutual support, not judgment around it. I think that's why they work because because there's there is a group of people that they can be honest with about their struggle. I think that's really interesting. Also, um, you know, there was this huge revival in Fiji years ago. Uh, it may still be going on. I don't know, but uh, radically changed the entire nation. Honestly, this revival and at the center of this revival was confession. They would gather together and confess all of their sins to one another and ask God for forgiveness. So do I think we should confess? Yes, I do. Do I know what that looks like? No, I do not. I don't know how we do it. I just think maybe we should start thinking about that. And I am going to be thinking about that. So if you have any suggestions or thoughts around how that might work, I would love to hear them from you. Okay, that's the end of that. Now he's going to start talking about the power of prayer. And this is so important. This is a big one. Okay, friends, this is this is huge. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. That's what it says right there. The urgent request of a of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. That we either believe that that's true or we don't. Do you believe that prayer changes things? Years ago, I asked the Lord why don't I pray more? Why is it so hard for me to find a, a, a pattern of prayer that I will continue to involve myself in? And the Lord said, that's simple. You don't believe it works. Oh, you know, God could be mean sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? I, I was shocked. I was, my mind was blown. I was like, whoa, what? 
The Lord said, that's why. That's why you don't pray. You don't pray because you don't believe that that it works. You don't believe that praying does anything, and so you don't pray. And he called me out, man. But he was right, and that was why I wasn't in the place of prayer. I, I was having trouble believing that God was responding to my prayers, and that really pressed me. I need to choose. Am I going to believe this, or am I not? And let me say this to you. This is the universal teaching of the New Testament. Jesus prayed. All the disciples pray. Paul, Peter, everybody that wrote the New Testament tells us over and over again, pray, 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 pray. Jesus told us to pray. He gave us a pattern of prayer to follow in the Lord's Prayer. He said, when you pray, say, etc. Jesus, the whole New Testament, teaches us pray, 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 pray. And yet, what do we do? We don't pray. And Jesus told us, oh, if, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, be uprooted and be thrown into the sea. I mean, Jesus was not kidding around. Jesus told us that prayer changes things. But we don't believe it because we've prayed a lot and we haven't seen them the things answered the way that we think they should be. But that's our fault. We haven't trusted that God is answering our prayers in the way that he should. So I want to challenge you and myself. We need to be a people of prayer and we need to be a people who are bringing the whole of our lives before the Lord in prayer because the urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, let me clear something up. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are believe, if you are uh, if you are trusting in Him to forgive you of your sins, then guess what? You are a righteous person. And I know the enemy likes to say, "Well, that's the urgent request of a righteous person, not the not the urgent request of you." No, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a righteous person. Period. Let's just leave that off the table. You have been given the righteousness of Christ, therefore He's talking about you. The urgent request of a righteous person is powerful, powerful in its effect. Then he talks about Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. He's saying, this is the kind of power that we can have in the place of prayer. And I'm saying, amen, yes, and amen. Elijah prayed, and it stopped raining for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and it rained. He said, that's the level of expectation he, that we should have. That's the level of expectation we should carry <clears throat> when it comes to prayer. Whew. I'm being challenged right now, friends. I am being challenged. Okay, Lord. I'm going to take you at your word, and I am going to do it. I'm going to be a man of prayer. Are you going to be a person of prayer? I need you to be a person of prayer because the urgent request of a righteous person like you is powerful in its effect, and I need you praying for me. I'll pray for you. Please pray for me. <laughs> we need to believe that prayer works. Woo. Father, give us faith for this kind of prayer life. That's all I can say. Verse 19. We are going to be a little short tonight. 
got a lot going on at the church and I am out of time here in just a few minutes. So forgive me for that, but I'm going to have to go uh, before we spend a whole hour together. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his life, life from death, and cover a multitude of sins. I love this. I love this. I love this. This is awesome. Friends. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a little excited about this? If we see a brother or a sister wandering away, wandering away, we should speak to them. If we see them committing sins, we should pursue them. If we see them doing things that we know they would not have done at one point, but they are doing it now, we should have a conversation with them. Are you with me? This is hard. It's hard. We don't want to say anything to anybody. We don't want to, we don't, we don't like pressing. We don't like asking the questions. We don't like, we don't like it. It's difficult. We don't want to get in people's business and we don't want to hurt their feelings. And amen. But who else is going to talk to them? Who else is going to say, hey, I'm worried about you. Hey, how can I pray for you? Can We need to try and help rescue one another from our own stupidity. Because we can be stupid, you and I. Every once in a while, we can be really stupid. <laughs> it's the truth. And we all need rescuing. I need it. You need it. We all need rescuing. And if we can turn someone back and save them from their error, and save their life from death, and cover a multitude of sins, this is not about making them feel bad for who they are. It's just about come home, come back, come here. We love you. Don't walk, don't wander off into that. Come, come back. With the cords of love, draw them back from the precipice. With the cords of love, call them out of the places that they would run. Save them from death. Now, what does that mean that they're going to die? By No, but save them from all of the things that are going to be stolen from them because they're doing something foolish because they're in error, because they're walking away from the truth. Now listen up. We don't do it like this. We don't say, you are walking away from the truth, and da 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 No, 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 we don't do it like that. We don't, don't do it like that. And if you do it like that, and you say that I told you to, then I'm going to come find you, because that is not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about having a loving and yet truthful conversation with someone who is wandering away from the person they used to be. Hey, I love you and I'm I'm worried about this. I saw this. I was made aware of this. No judgment. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just want you to know that I'm here and that I'm and that I care about you and that I'm worried about what's going on right now. I hope all that makes sense. Cause to me that's that's what it means to turn someone back. To look them in the eye and be honest and say, hey, this isn't who you are. Years ago, the Lord told me, I was talking to the Lord about how to discipline my children. And what does it mean to be a good father? And the Lord said to me, The Lord said to me, don't name your children by their by their worst day. Don't look at your child and say, you stole, therefore you are a thief. Don't name them by their mistakes. He said, remind them who they are. You stole that thing, but that's not who you are. You hit your brother, but that's not who you are. You are a loving brother. You you care about your brother. You protect your brother. That's not you. Why did you do this? I have tried ever since that day. I have tried when I speak to my kids to talk to them in that way, to remind them who they really are, to remind them they are they are loving, intelligent individuals and that behaving in ways that don't make sense that's not who they are sometimes they received that well and sometimes they didn't it's not nothing's foolproof but but my attitude around it is really important to me i don't want to name them by their mistake i want to welcome them back into who they truly are that's what we're looking to do Okay, well, friends, that is the end of James chapter 5 and the end of the book of James. I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as I have. I have really enjoyed it. And uh, I want to pray over you, and then uh, we will go for tonight. Abba, Father, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you that you've invited us into the place of prayer, which is a place of living our lives with you and not apart from you. Lord, I pray that I pray right now in Jesus name that as we walk through the next days, weeks and months, that we would be reminded to bring the moments of our lives back to you, to live the to to live our lives around the fire of your love, to to draw near to your light and your warmth and your kindness and your goodness. 
to not be afraid to bring anything and everything before you because you are good and your love endures forever. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who lay our hands on the sick and see them recover. I also pray that you would teach us to be a confessing people, a people who are not afraid to share our weaknesses, to be vulnerable, and to ask for help. And I pray that we would be a people that believe that when we pray, you answer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, friends, blessings. I love you. I will see you next week.